Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AndyJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Quick heads up, I'm going to be mentioning things regarding the birds and the bees. Nothing graphic or explicit or too strange, but I'm just giving you a heads up in case you're listening with little kids and you don't want to, uh, you know, have to answer any weird questions today. Uh, Just just wanted to get you a heads up. It's just kind of a strange metaphor about birth and all that kind of stuff. So get ready for that. There you go. That's your warning. at the start of the year often there's all this push to set goals and do new beginnings in January and I don't know about you but I always feel like that's rushing it because you go through the holidays and you're trying to shut off and not think about work and then you get right back to work and it's like all right what do you want to do this year and you're like you know and also you know it's cold outside you don't feel like fresh start For me, the fresh start usually starts feeling fresh (laughs) in springtime. So I wanted to do a little series, few-part series, three episodes about dreaming about new futures 
getting new aspirations, finding, setting some goals and making some objectives and charting some territory of where we want to conquer next. And I have been working on this series for a while now. Got a bunch of ideas, a bunch of things I'm excited to share with you. We have Meg Lewis doing a section of this episode, which you, I am sure you're going to uh, thoroughly enjoy. She is uh, a blast and uh, I love collaborating with her. Um, We are different sides of a very similar coin, if that makes any sense. Um, So yeah, so that's what this is. It's all about dreaming, setting new goals, and plans and tricks and tactics and tips. Did I say tips already? Uh, On how to achieve those goals. Some things that have been true game changers for me, especially early last year, I did some techniques that uh, were the most effective goal setting uh, uh, practices that I've ever done. And also, I've been working on the, these ideas for the past three months or so. And because I've been in such a big transition in my work and what my goals are, and I've been, you know, I kind of closed a chapter on one part of my goal setting and I'm opening new chapters. And so I wanted to do a super thorough job. So I think that this these uh this series is gonna taste real good so without further ado let's get on with it oh we're gonna talk about it through the lens of um a kind of call the midwife five (laughs) five which you're gonna hear in a second becoming a new you is no easy task you need a friend to help guide you in this series dr pizza the midwife is here to help you give birth to a new you Can you feel it? Time has never been more ripe for conceiving a new you. Your spirit is ovulating. Get ready to push out a new beginning. Call the midwife, Dr. Pizza. There's a lot of self-help books out there that claim all you need to do to have a new life is to conceive of a new life in your mind. Dream up, envision, visualize a new you, and bam, you'll have new life. To me, this is like picking up a book called Becoming a Parent, and you open up the book, and it's just a book about the birds and the bees. I mean, it's not a lie. That is how you become a parent. But I think we can all agree there's a lot more to being a parent, becoming a parent, than doing that. Like, yeah, brainstorming who you want to be and coming up with the goals you want to achieve is helpful. It's a, it's a really good start of the process, but it's mostly the fun part. And bringing a new you into this world and raising a healthy you involves a lot more of not-so-fun stuff. These new you self-help books that tell you all you got to do is think up a new you and you'll have a new you are kind of like the... Trying to, it's kind of like trying to pass off a Kama Sutra book as a parenting book. Like you open them up, and there's just a million ways to sit around and think about how to be a new you. They're basically that thinker statue thinking in like 92 different positions. But I think these self help books are missing a few of the less pleasant chapters on achieving new goals in your life. Chapters like chapter one. Labor pains of forming new habits. Why does birthing a new life into this world feel like death? Chapter 2. Midlife toddler tantrums. I don't want kale smoothie. I want pizza. Or chapter 3. Morning sickness. 
also known as I feel like death this morning because I meant to go to sleep at 9 p.m. so I could go work on my side hustle before my day job, but I accidentally stayed up till 3 a.m. because I had to read that article on Facebook about which friend I'll never believe from the show Friends is no longer friends with the other friends. Who is it? Is it was it Joey? I think it was Joey. Poor poor Joe. It's probably Gunther. But he really never had any friends in the first place. Anyway, <laughs> let's get let's get to this episode. I want to talk about conceiving of a new you in your mind and why I think although that's not the full picture, we probably shouldn't skip that step and there might in fact be some magic in that process. I'm going to confess something to you. You probably already know this, uh, but I feel like I've been hiding it from you. <laughs> Confession, in all honesty, I love a little bit of new agey woo-woo, if I'm honest. I'm also kind of tickled by this dualism of our thought, like our brains so badly want everything to be black and white. The materialist, uh, you know, empiricist, factual person hustle crowd you know the people that think it's all about just working hard it's about putting in the work uh they hate and want to tear down the magical thinking of the secret law of attraction new age crowd but you know i think often it's much more true that it's both and like bringing new life into this world is both magical fun times and hard painful blood sweat and tear times I personally go out of my way to try to embody uh, as much truth as I can, even when those truths seem contradictory. I don't, I don't feel like I could reconcile this for the longest time. Historically on this podcast, I've felt that the self-help creative world has been super heavy on the mystical woo-woo, law of attraction side of stuff that I felt like I needed to swing hard the other way. Uh, but the problem is that it's like a book called Becoming a Parent that you open it up and it's just like raw, nasty, up close birthing photos <laughs> to try to like scare you and to be like, this is going to be tough. Don't forget the fun. And everyone's like, I don't know if I want to be a parent anymore. Uh, <laughs> this tactic has teetered uh has teetered into doing more harm than good sometimes, I think. And I want to kind of correct that with this episode. Like, oh, you want to try following your dream? Look at the horror of following your dreams. It's horrible. It's going to be hard. Like, following your dream is smoking cigarettes, and this podcast is like the photo of blackened lungs sometimes. Um, <laughs> just not the message I want to send. The truth is that although there are tons of hard things on the path to fulfilling your creative destiny, if you will, uh, it's mostly life-giving, magical, uh, meaningful road. Um, not to mention that without the magic at the start, uh, you can't really get to the rest of it. That imagining or conceiving of a new you at the start, if, if you don't do that, you'll never be pregnant with the possibility of new life. Uh, beco becoming a new parent that fails to mention the birds and the bees leaves out the most crucial step to unlocking this new life. So although, yes, it's the fun part, yes, it's only the start, it is the essential key to 
walking into a new life that you want. I think that uh, for me personally, the times when I've drifted and I've just kind of saw what could happen, I think there's seasons of your life where that's totally fine, by the way. You know, I think there's a seasons of your life when there's a lot going on and you're enjoying the flow and there's surprises. Like, I think that's totally fine. But I've found that if I go too long in that season, that I usually that flow, the natural, you know, the path um, of least resistance ends in places where I don't really want to be. And for, and especially for someone like me who is, is very motivated by being excited about what I'm doing and that's how I get my most work done, it's important that I plan and that I, uh, and I set goals and I, and I steer the ship to places where I'm going to be my best self. And so that starts with thinking thinking about it, visualizing it, uh, dreaming up futures that get that motivation churning. So this episode is my remedy to the fact that on this podcast, I've tried to avoid too much talking about that kind of thing and thinking and, and trying to, I think I'm usually trying to play up the tactical side or the practical side or the, it's going to be hard, but you got to push through side. Uh, and I want to remedy that and talk about the start of becoming a brand new parent of a new you. And uh, that means, yep, you've heard right. It's time for Big Papa Pizza to sit down and it's time that we had the talk. <laughs> All right, I promise the weird metaphor uh, is not going to get any stranger in if you stick with this episode. Let's do it. Here's why I think it's so important that we start with a desire, aka dreaming up or an envisioning a future that you want. Because a story doesn't start without a character who wants something. Just as you can't get pregnant without conception, your story doesn't start or progress without conceiving of something you want. Next time you're watching, watching, watching a movie or TV, notice that every story starts with a character that wants something. That's when the story begins. If you want meaning and progress in your life, you need to want something too. And getting crystal clear on a desire that your whole mind, body, brain, spirit, soul can get behind is paramount to your whole being working towards achieving it. You can't get this kind of buy-in without some kind of real soul searching and inner work. Your story starts the second you develop your thesis, a.k.a. your desire, a.k.a. your vision or purpose, a.k.a. your conception of a future that you want to enter. Act one of your story starts the second you want something. This want is your thesis. Do not be afraid to want something. Do not be afraid to have a thesis. Your conceiving of your thesis is, in my opinion, the secret to a meaningful life full of the deepest kinds of joy. Now you might say, Andy, Andy, this, <laughs> why do you talk like that? Why do you call me Andy like that, you weirdo? Uh, this life is not a movie. Life doesn't work like that, and that's why I say, and that's when I say, you're wrong. Why do you think we're obsessed with stories as a species? It's because we like to project ourselves into a narrative. No, that's not why. It's the opposite. Narratives are a, a stories are a projection of our consciousness. Stories work the way they do because that's the way our mind works. Like your sense of you, your consciousness 
in your mind, it's merely neurons telling a story. It's a bunch of neurons that are all separate things, and they're coming together in what's called emergent phenomenon. And that emergent phenomenon, that thing that says that you're not a bunch of little pieces, a bunch of cells and tissue and organs, that you're not this separate bag of stuff, but you're actually one whole being, that's emergence and that emergence is a story that you're telling yourself. Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell and Christopher Vogler would all say stories have similar structures, archetypes, and themes, not because we like those things, but because those are us. We are these things. These structures, that that's the regular story structure, that's how our mind works. That's how we think of life. That's how we make meaning out of life. The archetypes, you know, the trickster, the villain, the threshold guardians, the hero, all those people, all those different types of characters you're going to see in stories, they exist in your mind. We see other people that way through these archetypes, and we see ourselves, the different parts of ourselves, and we embody those different types of characters at different times in our lives and in different moments. Yes, you can break the story structure in interesting way, ways and get different effects, but if you completely wreck the story structure, you'll nearly have no chance of resonating with the human mind because we are story. That's why we see it and it resonates. It's like, yes, uh, my story sees that story. So you have an ego, a.k.a. your sense of being an individual, out there as a character in your story. Then you have this inner world and it's your subconscious watching you live your story. You are the character and the audience of your story. If you, does that make sense to you? Like, <laughs> like you, your ego is the part of you that you see as like, there's Andy going around doing stuff. And then there's a second voice behind that that's like watching Andy. And sometimes that voice is like, Andy, you're an idiot. Why do you keep doing that? Don't, you don't want to do that. Stop. Go. Go the other direction. Don't do that. This is the part in the horror film where they're going downstairs into the dark alone when they heard a noise down there. And you're like, don't do it. Like there's a part of you, your subconscious is that audience member that's watching your story unfold, cheering you on, even sometimes working against you because it's like looking at your ego, at your individual sense of self and be like, you're making the wrong choices. So you're both the hero and the audience of your story. And if you don't have a clear desire, your story stops. If you're bored with your life or you're apathetic with your life, it might just be because your hero doesn't have a clear desire. Your subconscious audience self wants to root for your hero in this epic journey when you've accepted things as they are, or you just live in the known routine of every day, your subconscious is getting a multi-season live action. Your subconscious isn't getting a multi-season live action epic. It's watching a GIF on repeat. You know that Desert Island game where you're asked, what song would you listen to on repeat for the rest of your life? Or what movie would you watch on repeat for the rest of your life? Let's make it even more extreme. What GIF would you watch on repeat forever? Well, I'm glad you asked what my favorite gift gif is. My favorite gif is the Italian Spider-Man. If you haven't seen it, I suggest looking it up. It looks like this guy from the 70s. Uh, it's from the movie Italian Spider-Man, and it's just a guy. He looks like a stoner guy, and he's like, whoa. He's shaking his head in disbelief. That's my favorite gif. And uh, I could probably watch that gif on repeat for like eight seconds. Watching a GIF on repeat forever is like a form of cruel torture. So why are you doing that to your subconscious audience? 
Like, think about it. If you do the same thing in the known world, in a routine, day after day, incentivizing yourself through just, you know, little pleasures and just working through the motions every day, your subconscious is watching a GIF on repeat and it is going to get boring and bad things are going to happen because of it. You might say, gifts are pleasureful. It, they're so fun. And you're completely right. I get a lot of pleasure from gifts. Gifts are like our modern day equivalent of greeting cards, expressing ourselves through the expression of others, as uh, Jim Gaffigan has spoke about when it comes to uh, greeting cards. But Viktor Frankl says that, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. If you're doing the same thing every day, simply motivating yourself with cheap pleasures along the way, you will not end up where you want to be. The daily system of your only incentive being cheap pleasures is like living a gif over and over and over. And eventually your subconscious audience is going to stage a riot and shake things up because they need some meaningful experience in this story. They need, even if it's just, even if the, your subconscious might even just self-sabotage just to feel some pain, at least it feels meaningful. Pleasure is like filling up your gas tank with water. Like it'll get you around for a little while, but eventually it's going to break the system. I'm not, I'm not saying pleasure is bad. I'm just saying using it as your only fuel is, uh, I think setting yourself up for disaster. A meaningful desire is like an electric car with renewable energy. Fuel like this will power you through obstacles and conflict and stubborn habits. When your character has this kind of clear, compelling want that your subconscious audience gets, and it's like an epic story that they get to witness, they will root for you. They will work for you. It will engage and support you. When you go to sleep, your subconscious will work on your problems that you're working through because they know that they matter. Like your whole self will work towards this thing when you get clear on a desire that's worthwhile. You ever watch a character in a story who just sits, uh, who's just in it for personal gain or money? That clear desire may keep your interest better than a gif, but it's not very compelling and you're not going to be rooting for them. And your subconscious feels the same. If you take the time to get a crystal clear get crystal clear on a desire you believe with all your heart and mind and soul and body will be good for you and other peeper pe peeper <laughs> for, for other peeper <laughs> and for other people your whole being will be rooting for your success this is why they call clarity on desire uh, a or the personal or a personal thesis the secret and although i believe that it's only the first part of the journey the first act so to speak having a comp compelling clear desire has this enormous effect on your being and it is magical in power in my experience and that's why we're going to i'm going to encourage you and today to do that and i'm going to give you some tactics to how to tap into deeper desires, more meaningful desires regarding your creative career. So for the past four months or so, uh, something has been wrong <laughs> with my life. <laughs> Sounds very extreme. It's not that extreme. But I think a lot of you guys have probably... 
a lot of you people have probably sensed that. And uh, because you've been sending me a lot of notes that say stuff like, please don't quit the podcast. And I'm not going to quit the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe I'm giving that vibe. Uh, maybe it's just because you sense that something's going on. There's a reinvention of sorts. Uh, maybe you think I'm having a midlife crisis. I'm not having a midlife crisis, which I think is what every person who is having a midlife crisis says. But I do think, if anything, I might be having a midlife rebirth. Uh, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but <laughs> just it's like a public service announcement. People, I feel like some people in the industry have been looking at me very strangely, like, Andy dyed his hair purple and he's painting his nails. It's what's happening. Uh, but the truth is, uh, the funny thing to me about that is that, like, my dad, who is a uh, finance guy, it was not phased at all by any of that because he knows the real me. He knows that that I did those things in middle school and high school and uh, that I've always kind of been a goofball weirdo. And the truth is, I'm such a weirdo uh, and I can pass as normal so often that when I meet somebody new, it takes me a long time to be myself. You know, a lot of you think that I'm weird on this podcast. Ask Sophie, my wife. You have no idea how strange. I'm just a really bizarro, goofy, weird guy. And uh, it's taken me, what, four years to be more myself on this podcast. And it's taken me 10 years in the industry of illustration and design to start being being myself online and being myself, uh, you know, on stage and all that stuff. And so that's really what it was. I think there was this point where I was like, you know what, I've been wanting to dye my hair for five years, I believe, maybe four years ago, I started thinking about it. And I was just stuck in those same stupid things of like, Oh man, I have to explain it to everybody. People are like, "Well, this kid's got his hair dyed. He's weird." Um, and then I just—that was the first thing where I was like, "You know what? I'm just gonna go do it." And even if I have a little bit of anxiety around it, I'm just gonna sit in that. It's obviously stupid anxiety because it's something I want to do, and all the reasons I wouldn't do it are just pleasing other people or self-consciousness or whatever, and they're not. None of them are good reasons or things like they're gonna perceive things about me that aren't true and all of that is true but none of those are good reasons not to do what you want to do so I just said you know what I'm going to feel the pain and do it anyway and I did the same thing about getting a tattoo and then I started painting my nails and uh (laughs) it's all really stupid stuff but it's made me really happy and I think it's kind of uh all indicative of a season of change for me because I I've the reason the four past four months have been kind of tough for me is because uh, I haven't known what my desire is in my work. And that's a big engine for me as a person. It's actually the thing that kind of got me that finding that achieving desire in me kind of saved me from in high school. In high school, I was just a complete mess in all kinds of ways, going nowhere, um, just seeking pleasure all the time, you know, uh, just living for the weekend and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I found that part of me that like likes to achieve things and work for things and get payoffs and all that and find meaningful work in my life that I started to be able to get out of those bad habits and in that type of life. And since for the four past four months, I haven't really known what that desire is, I think it's kind of sent me into a panic because I don't want to revert back to my old self in terms of um, 
not being disciplined and and uh, and and all that good stuff. So because I'm an addict, I'm an addictive person. Uh, you know, I was addicted heavily addicted to cigarettes for five years um, in my late teens, early 20s, like almost smoking a pack a day, often smoking more than that. Um, and, uh, you know, I have that behavior in me. It's a very ADHD thing, actually. Another ADHD thing is that we're not... Now, you're probably going to relate to, even if you don't have ADHD, there's going to be parts of you that relate to this, maybe in minor ways, but in ADHD, a lot of these human things are more extreme. For instance, uh, I'm not motivated by anything other than meaning. Uh, I'm not motivated by regular rewards and incentives. And so when you're parenting an ADHD kid, you can't really, you can't really, uh, incentivize their life by consequences and rewards like you can your other kids. And so you have to dig deeper than that. They have to feel the meaning. They have to, their whole body, their whole self needs to be into this thing that you're getting them to do. And, uh, you have to enjoy the process and that has to feel like, yeah, this is what life's about. And so money is not a motivator for me. It never has been. And that was actually to my detriment early on of like, I just can't do this job because I need money. Money just is too abstract of a thing and um, it just doesn't do anything for me, that kind of reward. I need to enjoy the process and it needs to feel meaningful. And so the first five years of my career, uh, I had a really clear, compelling goal, which was to go full-time freelance so that I could provide for my kids doing something I love. So when you're ADHD, doing something you love is really, 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 really important. Um, if you don't enjoy the process, you're not really going to get through it. You don't have to love every second of the process, but it has to have a lot of components that you enjoy. Um, and I knew that if I could find something that I loved doing, that I also made money at and could get better at and, and level up and get promoted at and make more money at, um, that I would be able to be a good provider for my kids. And so the first five years were all about establishing my creative career. And that, that motivation made money, a motive, made money an actual motivator for me because it was tied to the meaning of um, being a good dad. So the second five years of my career were all about mastering my craft. That was my clear desire. That's what it was all about. I wanted to rise to the top of illustration. My goal was to work with the New York Times and, and also work with people like the Washington Post and publish a kid's book and all that good stuff. I wanted to master the my craft. I wanted to be a legit illustrator, not just working as a full-time illustrator, making good money, but creatively being at the top of my game. And one of the reasons I felt that way is I wanted to be able to, like the meaningful side of that, not other than just the the enjoyment of, you know, mastering something, which is has tons of joy attached to it. But the meaningful side of it was I knew that if I did that, it would be, it would make me more of an authority that could um, give podcast listeners and my students uh, trust in me and being a true expert, not on just business, but also creativity would mean that would be a much better teacher and helper and guide for other creative people. And so, but those, those were kind of, that was a decade of, 
of making stuff. And the thing is, in that decade, because I had those clear desires, my goal setting process took me like three seconds at the beginning of January. I'd be like, okay, I know what my clear desire is, uh, even on an, just an intuitive level. And I'd make a list of like, okay, I want to work with these three clients because that will mean that I'm making progress on this goal. Or I want to do, the, you know, it was, it took me like five seconds and all of a sudden motivation was peaked, boom, ready to tackle another year. And, uh, probably at late November, I start thinking about some of that stuff. And this past year, I tried to do my regular quick goal setting kind of process at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. And it took me not three seconds, but three months. And I realized, and, and because of that, in those three months, there was a lot of kind of, um, apathy growing and I was losing my fuel and my motivation because if I can't see what the, what's the point, I don't know how to just get out of bed and make stuff. And I actually, I, I did pretty well because I have a good routine. It's not like anything happened. It was just, I could feel that I was having to push myself more than usual to do regular stuff and that that willpower was had a short lease of life and that I needed to figure out what my clear desire, my clear, meaningful desire was. And so as you guys may have heard, I found it in the past month. I realized that the next shift, the next five years or so, what I want it to be about is to be an author of stuff, a writer of sorts. And I mean writer in a very loose sense of the word. I mean, I think uh, stand-up comedians are writers, even when they're just writing for their stand-up. Uh, I think, you know, d- people that write for TV, uh, people that write books, people that all these, there's lots of different types of writing. And I'm really just talking about storytelling. Uh, and, you know, writers write in different ways. It's not always long-form writing uh, in a book. So I'm not necessarily saying I want to be an author of books, although I do. But it's not limited to that. The truth is what I want and what my, the thing that's energizing me lately is that I want to tell meaningful stories that inspire the best in humanity. I want to become a master storyteller. I want to become a published storyteller. I want to, um, I want to get in the real game of storytelling because I believe that story is the currency of change. Like I believe that, uh, that story is how, like I said, I think story is how our brain works. I think that's how we get our sense of meaning in our life and who we are and, and all we understand life through the lens of story. And I think that social change, uh, personal individual change, growth, it is, it starts by believing compelling stories. And I think it's the work of the storyteller, be it the movie maker, TV writer, whatever, to, uh, they have the opportunity to tell stories that inspire the best in us. And I want to tell those kinds of stories. And if you're going to tell those kinds of stories, they have to be stories that work. They can't just be, uh, just random writing. They need to be stories that have real payoffs, punchlines that work within the story structure in ways that give that emotional meaning and payoff in our hearts and also break those story structures in interesting ways so that they're fresh enough to get our attention. The endings need to be surprising and inevitable, not unlike a punchline. 
And I've wanted, I've dedicated my life even, even without realizing it the past couple of years to getting better and better and better at that in my public speaking on this podcast and in the books that I've been trying to make. So I got it. And when I got that and when it hit me, it was like Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white to that beautiful Technicolor. And it felt like, oh, I could breathe again. And it felt like being reborn. reborn. It felt like um, all of a sudden my motivation kicked back in with that kind of challenge and that clarity. And so if you are even a, just a little unsure today and you don't have that punch, you don't have that thing that's getting you out of bed in the morning, I'm going to give you three tactics. Actually, I'm going to give you two tactics for unlocking what your meaningful desire is now that's going to be the engine of your work. And then the third one's going to be brought to you by our special friend, Meg Lewis. First tactic that I would recommend for unearthing your core desire for this next season of your creative career is what I'm calling moving image. Moving image. And uh, it's a little bit of a play on words. Kind of proud of it. <laughs> moving image is, uh, you know, something that they call movies, uh, but also. I want you to come up with a moving image. Now, this has been incredibly helpful to me because if we're trying to tap into meaning, if we're trying to find stuff that moves us because it feels like meaningful work, and we're trying to embody the type of energy, the type of creativity, the type of stuff we want to make, we want to be giving a particular energy or, or art or feeling or lesson or whatever out into the world. I think that instead of starting in your brain, which is what I get caught up in a lot when I'm making creative work, I think it's better to start in your heart. It starts in your heart. What is it? Listen to your heart. I know you guys listen to this podcast for my fantastic singing voice, but (laughs) we're not going to do any more of that. The idea is, you know, even recently, I did this silly image to promote last week's podcast with the part two episode with Susie Altman, and it was what I called hug phones. And there, it's <laughs> I spent most of a day <laughs> making this illustration of uh, headphones that became hug phones, hugging the the little creature that's listening to this podcast. Uh, and I was very proud of spending my life this way because it touched my heart. Uh, it was the idea that hu- headphones become hug phones when a podcast is the exact thing you need to hear at that moment. And you just feel like a podcast is hugging you. And it took me a long time to get into this idea, uh, as silly as that might sound, because I was trying to approach it with my head. I was trying to think like, you know, what kind of image will get the attention? What kind of thing can I do for this episode to promote this podcast? Like, what's clever? What's smart? What's what's going to get the reaction? You know, whatever. And it was all cerebral. It was all in my head. And I was all getting caught up on it being a good image. Uh, again, 
metrics in my head. And when I stopped and I started in my heart and I started in the emotional center of what's the emotional center of what I want to communicate, the actual thing that really moves me. And to me, what was great about the episodes with Susie Altman is that they found they feel like a hug. And I needed a hug. You know, I needed a creative career hug that helped me, uh, that pushed me into my, the next season that I'm in. And when I started thinking like, oh, it's like this podcast feels like a warm hug. Uh, that's where that idea came from. It came from the emotional center. And I have this mantra that I say when I'm making stuff that to remind me on that of, of finding that heart of something. And it's what do I want to say? But it starts with something that actually moves me. And so one of the things I've been doing, I mentioned this on the podcast, uh, and then I'm going to get to what we're actually talking about right now. I mentioned on the podcast what actors do. It's called priming. Well, you'll watch something or listen to a song or whatever that helps you get into the emotion that you're about to act out. And I will do that sometimes for the podcast. And I will do that before I do a public talk or I'll do that before I make stuff, like trying to embody the energy of what I'm trying to communicate. And it gets me in there and it helps explain to me, helps my brain make sense of the purpose of what I'm doing. So moving image, finding an image that moves you, that literally connects you into meaning where you really feel it. You're not just thinking it. And for me, as silly as it might be, again, I told you this is the woo woo episode. This is the weird new agey episode. So that we're going to get gushy and strange. And I assure you the next two episodes will be much more practical. And they're from business books, lessons from real businessmen. This is just the soft creative side. Um, but I will, uh, the thing that has been resonating a ton with me about what my next desire is, what my next thesis is, what my next season of who I want to be is, is the image of the great forest spirit from, from Princess Mononoke. This is a Hayao Miyazaki movie. I believe it's considered to be anime if you're not familiar with such things. Uh, I'm not an expert in anime, but I am an enormous fan of Hayao Miyazaki. You know, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service. I could just keep going because I love all of them. And one of them is Princess Mononoke, which I haven't seen in a long time. But in that, there is a great forest spirit. And I am moved by this image of this great forest spirit walking through the woods and everywhere this spirit walks, everywhere, it, everything it comes in contact with blooms like instantly, kind of like a stop. I've talked about this before on the podcast too, like a stop motion video of a flower blossoming. So it's like blossoming extremely quickly and everywhere this forest spirit passes through, everything around it just blossoms and it moves me, and it speaks to me on a kind of uh, interdimensional, transcendent way, because I feel like that's what I want to be. I want to, when people come in contact with me, when people come in contact with my art, when people come in contact with my podcast, when they hear me public speak, I want them to feel like they are blooming and blossoming, and their energy is growing, and their spirit is getting bigger, and they're they just feel they're coming alive, right? And so I know that that's the heart of what I want my life to be about. I want to be like the great forest spirit that uh, just has this energetic, life-giving, uh, pa- 
power through my creativity. And another example of this moving image idea, it's helped me as a writer in terms of the content I write for the podcast and all the other stuff I do, is I would find, uh, when I'm thinking about a topic, I will find a scene from a movie that really moved me to get into the heart of that topic. And instead, sometimes I'll even reference that. You know, I do a lot of pop culture references on here, but sometimes I just use it as fodder for my own storytelling. Like, I get into that emotion of that thing. I figure out, how did they get me to feel that? What's the center of, what's the craft of making me feel that. And it might be a combination of music, uh, foreshadowing, uh, you know, whatever it is, all of these tricks of the craft, tricks of the trade. And I, and I, but starting with that emotional heart, getting that moving image in my brain, connecting me to my real emotions and, and connecting my purpose to a real feeling of meaning is incredibly powerful. And it starts priming me to to think of these goals and think of this future that I'm trying to birth as something that that deeply resonates. It isn't just a hollow goal-setting activity. So, first one is moving image. Number two, number two, a little bit of a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about death here. So, uh, if you had some recent stuff go on around this topic and you think you want to avoid it, you might want to skip a little bit um, or whatever. But it's not going to get too dark, but it's maybe slightly morbid. Uh, this one came from a book I was reading a few months ago called Living Forward by Michael Hyatt. It's like a personal development business book. And one of the core ideas of the book is about, it's about life planning, planning your future like we are today, talking about getting into your core desire of what do you really want so that you can kick off um, this next section of your life. And his big idea in the book is writing your own eulogy, which I know sounds kind of weird, and it is kind of weird, but I actually think there's a big push in our culture going on to remember our mortality and the power of doing that. You know, I heard a speaker years ago talk about how in America we've really pushed death to the periphery. And we re- and I don't know if he was saying that maybe it was about the fact that we're uh, obsessed with selling stuff and the fact that we're going to die one day maybe puts our selling into check. Like we don't want to buy as much stuff when it, you know, especially meaningless stuff when you're going to die one day. And so, you know, in other cultures and other times, funerals and death were a big part of everyday life and we they mourned heavily in the streets and it you know it was just a big part of their culture whereas now uh we we really keep it behind closed doors and we try to avoid thinking about it and i get it it's painful and it's not something i like to think about either but i think there's a lot of power in remembering that we are mortal and I'm not the only one. You know, there's a big movement of stoicism these days for whatever reason. I think there's, I could jump into that rabbit hole and try to give you my, you, I know you're wondering my take on why stoicism is so prevalent in the, in the year 2019, but I'm not going to go there. I'm going to say they have this idea called memento 
mori, I believe it is. And it's Latin for something like, remember that you're going to die and live in such a way that your life is precious and it's, you know, slipping through your fingers and you got to, you need to do something with it, uh, worthy of this rare gift that you've been given. Uh, obviously, uh, there's another person, Myra Coleman, the illustrator, phenomenal illustrator, she talks about how every single day she starts her day by reading the obituaries. And they're beautiful and moving and powerful, but they're ultimately a daily reminder of her mortality and to uh, receive the day as a gift and to do, try to spend it in such a way that she will be uh, proud of how she spent it when she gets to the end. So this idea for me was really powerful. Now, one of the things that's going to happen if you start thinking about writing your own eulogy, I think you're instantly going to go to your your close family or friends, and you're going to instantly go to how you want to live differently in regards to that. I highly recommend doing that. It did have a sobering effect on me. And in fact, we had someone close to us pass away in the past uh, five months, and it brought it very strongly to the surface in such a way that I couldn't deny it. And and their kids were at their funeral uh, doing personal eulogies for their uh, parent, and it was extremely moving, and it definitely reminded me to focus on all the things that are really important, like my kids and my wife and, and my family and, and my close friends. And I think all of those are probably the first priorities when it comes to writing your eulogy. But in terms of your creative career, I think that it can have a lot of power. If you think about what do you want the impact of your creativity to be? Not long ago on the podcast, I talked about how for me, uh, I could see that in my mind that the difference between glory and impact was kind of fuzzy and that separating that out gave me a lot of clarity in what I want to be doing while I'm on this planet because uh, they look a lot similar on paper. Like if you have a massive impact or you have attained a lot of glory for yourself, that might both mean tons of followers, but ultimately uh, meaning will, the meaning of that is very different. You know, when you just make creative work to seek glory, to seek worship from your audience, for people to gather around you and be like, wow, look at you, you you're really something else, uh, that ultimately, for me, that is a meaningless pursuit. And anytime I've gotten to a situation where I've attained that, uh, it's often bittersweet. It's not something I can even really stomach. Uh, and then also, ultimately, when my ultimate goal, my subconscious goal in making something is to receive praise, I rarely deliver anything that is truly a gift. When the gift is all for me, like self-praise uh, or self-glory, uh, it comes across that way. And it comes across like, take a look at me. And that's just not that great of a creative endeavor. It's not that uh, it's not that fun to receive that. But on the other hand, when you receive art that truly feels like service, when it feels like I made this for you, it reminds me of like being in my room, uh, locking myself in my room when I'm like six years old with all my construction paper and glue and scissors and all this stuff. And I'm just sat there making presents for my parents and my siblings. And I'm going to work, having a great time thinking, oh man, I know exactly what they're going to love. My dad is going to love if I draw a Chicago bull right on the front of this card. It's going to make a tear in his eye and I'm just going to go to town on that thing and have a great time and that's me focusing on impact and there's just this beautiful thing going on there uh, and I think that when I 
think through this eulogy exercise that some things come to the surface. And one of the things, probably the central thing, it's one of the things that made me realize that I wanted to focus on writing and uh, words is that I want the people that I impact to say, Andy said something to me, either through writing or speaking, that changed my life. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, and then everything was different in their life, but even just their perspective, it helped them gain some hope. It gave, it helped them choose happiness. It helped them, uh, see life in such a way that it was more enjoyable or more bearable or whatever. But for me personally, I know that stories, I know that stories that move me reframe conflict and struggle in my life to, to see them as something uh, that's powerful, necessary, and ultimately potentially good for me. It helps me dive into my, uh, my uh, what's the word, my, my, my fight, my strength, my, I can't think of what, determination. Uh, stories can do that for me. But ultimately, you know, I love going to see great stories, even kids' movies that help me tap into and call forth my best humanity. Those stories make me, when I interact with these kinds of stories, they are like the great forest spirit blossoming my full humanity into realization. And I want to be someone like my dad, who when my dad passes, and I hope that it's years and years and years and years and years away, because he is a, a massive great forest spirit within my life, I feel, I know that I'll be able to get in front of people and say, there were things that my dad said. He learned to communicate in such a way. He learned, learned to uh, bottle up truth, hopeful, life-giving truth in such a way that it changed my life. He told me stories that changed my life. When he told me, which I've said this a bunch on the podcast, but I'll, I'll preach it from the streets if I have to because it's so powerful, that uh, life is hard, but it doesn't mean it's bad. Hard and bad are not the same thing. That idea changed my life, and I want to make it my work, my life's work, to tell stories and communicate things that have that kind of impact on the, uh, the people that consume it. And tapping into my eulogy helped me see that that was an ultimate goal of mine. Next up, we're going to have a little segment. Our last tactic comes from Meg Lewis. It is really lovely definitely got me thinking and and i've been putting it into practice uh super it's always a pleasure to reintroduce you to my friend meg she is uh if one person's creative pep talky it's her so here she is meg lewis hey buddies meg lewis here i am here to give you a tactic for finding your purpose that can be super hard but it also is very impressive to me to know that most of us are walking around without a purpose for living. I think it's something we should probably have, and most of us don't. So let's get to making a purpose for ourselves. All right. So whenever I think about making a purpose, and I have a purpose for myself, by the way, I've written it out. It is called 
Meg's purpose, colon, to make the world a happier place. That is my purpose, and it's something that's really easy for me to accomplish every day through normal actions. It's easy for me to do specifically because I have the tools at my disposal to be able to do it, and I think that that's pretty cool. So whatever your purpose is, I want it to be something that you can easily fulfill, you can easily do every single day in your work and in your life, okay? So number one thing about your purpose make it easy for you to accomplish. All right. But it's also a lot about finding out what you have to offer the world that no one else does. Okay. We all have qualities that are a little bit similar to ourselves and maybe some skills that are similar to one another. But when we distill it down into a superpower of any kind, there's usually one succinct thing that we have to offer the world that probably no one does but us. And it can be really hard to figure out what that thing is. So if you can't figure out what your number one thing is that you have to offer the world, what I really encourage you to do is to talk to your friends and family. Talk to the people that love you and know you and ask them, what is my thing? So a couple years ago, I was actually out and about with friends and we had just seen a talk and one of my friends said hey Meg would you ever give a talk and I said ha no way I don't have anything to say I have nothing important to say that hasn't already been said and my friend Laura was standing next to me and she turned to me and said oh my gosh no you don't you have so many things to say and then she told me what my things were And I had never, no one has ever told me about myself in that way before. Nobody has ever told me what I have to offer the world that most people don't. And hearing it from somebody else was so empowering because I had never thought about myself that way before. So it's okay if you've never thought about yourself this confidently to know what your superpower is or what you can offer the world that most people don't. So ask the people that are around you that love you and know you more than anybody else. And it can be incredibly empowering and very surprising to hear what their answers are. So once you figure out what that thing is, maybe it's not necessarily a personality trait. Maybe it's not an actual superpower. I don't know if you can like see lasers through pizza boxes with your eyes to know what's inside the pizza box. It doesn't have to be an actual superpower. It can just be a message that you have to say to the world. It can be something that's so important to you, something that you've thought about your whole life that is so core to who you are, that has been there since as long as you can remember. So whenever figuring out what you have to offer the world, remember, it can be a quality, it can be a trait, it can be uh, something about your personality that makes you unique and amazing. It can also be a message that you have to offer. For me, whenever I thought about what I had to offer the world that most people don't, it was my perspective. I've always had this really unique and weird and odd perspective on the world that no one else has had. I don't understand how humans work. I've always felt like I don't fit in with them because I have all these views on the world and the universe and how it should operate that seem completely different from anyone else. And because of that, I have a lot of unique messages to offer the world and things that I have to say. And I think that Andy is probably a little bit the same way, maybe. He can't answer me because this is a pre-recorded clip. (laughs) But anyway, so figure out what your key message is, figure out what you have to offer the world, and kind of think about what you value and what you valued for as long as you can remember. These are all ways that I find it helps to get a step closer to your purpose and figuring out what that is in the world and what your place is. 
So what do you have to offer the world that most people don't? What are your unique personality traits that you have to offer the world that most people don't? What do you bring to the table that you have that when you put it all together creates you because you are unlike anyone else? So obviously you have so many things to offer that are totally unlike anybody else. So figuring out what those things are really helps you to figure out your purpose in this world that is totally special to you. That's going to be your purpose, not someone else's, okay? And then remember the qualities of a purpose that I outlined before, right? So think about something that's short and sweet, something that you can fulfill every day, and something that's easy for you to fulfill so that you're not constantly stressed out over, oh my gosh, I'm not fulfilling my purpose. What do I do? But also a purpose can be so helpful for kind of being a guiding force in your life, right? So whenever you take on new client projects or you have a new life move to make, you can say, hmm, is this fulfilling my purpose? Is eating this delicious, delicious breakfast sandwich with donuts instead of bread, is this fulfilling my purpose? (gasps) Yes, it is. And then you eat the donut breakfast sandwich. It's that easy. So having a purpose can both be very empowering for yourself, but it also hopefully and definitely can make the world a better place because you serving your purpose can only make the world healthier. It can only make the world happier and it can only make the world more fulfilled and more round because to be honest, the world is getting pointier by the minute. Bye-bye. At the beginning of this podcast, I told you not to be afraid to have a thesis. But why would you be afraid to have a thesis? Why would you be afraid to admit what you want? I think I know why I'm often afraid to admit what I want. And I think I know why you are too. Here's the bad news. The exact second that you birth a thesis, you're actually birthing twins. Your thesis always has an evil twin. It's aptly called the anti-thesis, a.k.a. antithesis. It's the second act. If the first act is the thesis, the second act is the thing that's pushing against or stopping you. It's called the antithesis. Stephen Pressfield calls the antithesis the resistance in his book, The War of Art. He says the second you want something, the resistance is born. Your desire is a movement of your soul. And Pressfield says that 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 movement isn't above Newton's law of motion. His third law states that for every movement, there is an equal and opposing movement. Pressfield calls this resistance. He says that the bigger the desire, the bigger the equal opposing resistance. I call the resistance antithesis. A thesis begins the story. It creates an act one, act two. It, 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 the thesis is the act one, act two is antithesis. It's the struggle that your character will hit when you move to get the thing that you want. When you move to get something, it moves back at you to stop you. A desire by definition is something you don't have. So having this thing is changing changing the world as it is. This motion requires some expenditure of energy, a.k.a. struggle, hustle, pain, work. Okay, so you have a desire, but ultimately know that by doing so, you're inviting struggle and pain into your life. The end. Stay pepped up. (laughs) No, that's not the end of the story. Of course, that's not the end. There's one more act, right? It's a three-act story. 
Didn't someone smart like Aristotle or Socrates say there's three acts in a story? I'm not really sure who said that, but somebody did. And it's true. Here's the good news. Pain, struggle, work, antithesis. It is the secret sauce to what you ultimately want. It's my experience that when I have a thesis or a desire that requires no pain, no work, no antithesis, no movement on my part, and no anti-movement from the antithesis, that if I get the thing that I want without working for it, that it ultimately is pretty empty. People that have given everything, people that have been given everything that they desire with no movement are intolerable. Did you know that to be classified as a living thing, you have to move and grow and create energy? This is why viruses aren't considered living. They can't do these things. People that, are ne- that never experience antithesis are viruses. They're not living. They, aren't, they haven't experienced the pain of the antithesis, and so they have no sympathy for anyone else's pain. By the way... Before we get to the good news of Act 3, you should know, whether you conceive a thesis or not, antithesis is coming for you. There are two ways desire is birthed in a story. Either the hero wants something better than what they have now, or what they have is taken away from them, and they want to get it back. So guess what? You might not know this, but you're already pregnant. You're, you will birth a new you every day of your life. And if, if the only progress you make is putting another scratched tally on the wall of existence, that's not progress. Aging isn't a scoreboard. It's a shot clock. It's some dumb game like golf where the numbers adding up somehow count against you. I hate that. If you don't claim some desires and state some theses and make your life about something, even what you have will be taken away. I'm not, I, I, part of me is like, I don't want to tell you that because it sounds really mean or sounds like I'm being like tough love. I, you know, I'm not the doctor of tough love. That's not me. Uh, but I also am not going to pretend like it's not true. Don't wait for the antithesis to come to you. There's this misinterpreted nihilistic form of modern day spirituality that says, if I want nothing, I can't be hurt. But I say, if you don't embrace the hurt and move through it, it, uh, fueled by desires, you'll never have that joy that life is capable of. That brings me to the good news. So the bad news is you're birthing twins. One of them's an evil twin named Antithesis. Antithesis, however, the, the good news is Truly, antithesis is not your enemy. Why? Because you don't actually want your thesis. Let me explain. You know, one of the reasons you don't get clear on a thesis is because you're just too unsure of what you want. And I'd agree. No one actually knows what they want. They don't actually know if they want their thesis. What they want is found in Act 3. It's what's born when a mommy thesis comes together with a daddy antithesis, and, it's, and they birth a thing called synthesis. <laughs> I told you I was going to get away from the birds and bees weird me- metaphor, but I'm just going to use it just a little bit more. Synthesis is a product of having a desire and working through the resistance. It's the messy, mixed-up yin and yang of desire and pain, and I think it's called joy. I wonder sometimes if the pain of pregnancy and, uh, and labor isn't the universe's way of making us feel that this baby matters. 
you see it's the pain and the work of the antithesis that gives the synthesis its depth of meaning. Let me tell you a story. I wanted a slice of pizza. So I called the pizza place, they delivered it, and I ate it. It was delicious. End of the story. <laughs> That's not a story. That's a two-act story. It's thesis, thesis fulfilled. Good story? No. Uh, act one, I want pizza. Act two, I got pizza. We don't make movies out of that, baby, okay? A better story. Uh, a man wants some pizza, decides to make some pizza. That's the thesis, antithesis. He struggled with the dough and getting it into the oven and accidentally stumbling, folded the whole pizza in on itself. M man wants the pizza, man struggles and makes seemingly epic failed doing pizza antithesis. And, <laughs> and he feels like oh, all is lost. I'll never have pizza now. And then ding, the oven goes off. And you know what happened when he pulls that beautiful thing out? He has synthesis. He has invented the calzone. And it's not what he thought he wanted. But because this man is Ben Wyatt from Parks and Recs, it's exactly what he needed. That's just a little inside joke for Parks and Rec people. Basically, Ben Wyatt, uh, the character played by, I think his name's Adam Scott, is obsessed with calzones. The first story is a two-act gif on repeat man wants pizza eats pizza maybe pleasurable but not a lot of joy but did you feel that little bit of delight and joy that happens when you get thesis plus some struggle equals something new that was unexpected that's called synthesis Did you feel that little second of delight that happens when it feels like all is lost or you feel like you might not get it and then all of a sudden you get something totally new and unexpected when act one and act two come together. That little bit of delight, that's the joy that happens when you say, I want to go get that thing. You go for it. You fight for it. You work for it and it's hard and you don't think you're going to get it. And then you get it and it's even maybe different than you expected it to be. That's when you're feeling life's deepest joy. That's for me personally, at least. Let me tell you an even better story. It's a better story than the Calzone story. So uh, I've got three children. My second child, my boy, Hugo, he... Uh, he wanted to do karate, actually taekwondo. And we got him to the class, but he's also a little bit of a shy, nervous kid. And when we show up to do the class, he won't go up front. He doesn't want to go join the other kids, and he's really nervous. He refuses even uh, when the really great teacher asks him to come join. And it takes a few classes for him to even get out of his seat and and check it out a little bit. So fast forward just a few months later, this kid that barely will even join in is up at the front of the class as they're awarding the new belts. And my son has went from the white belt to the orange belt. And you can see the pride on him. <laughs> On his face and not only this and we knew he was going to get this belt 
and we had seen the transformation of a kid that would barely join in to a kid that was obsessed with Taekwondo and obsessed with getting all of the moves just right and and very mechanically technical in his approach and, and clearly loving it and bonding with the master of the class. And then not only did he get the belt, the, his teacher says, and we're going to announce best student from this past season. And who is it? It's my son, Hugo. He won the best student award. A kid who wanted to do Taekwondo and then found out, oh, it involves people and getting in front of the group and uh, being embarrassed and, and having to interact with an adult. And it's all this pain and suffering and all that, all the way, working through it day by day, learning the techniques, finally getting the next bill, and then ultimately getting something that he never even expected, wasn't even part of his thesis. But as he got that best student patch, I could see in his little, <laughs> little kid eyes that he was full of joy. That is a good story. That is a story about wanting something, struggling for something, working for something, and getting even more than you expected. And so I hope that you will join me in this next season of our creative journeys by claiming a moving image, claiming a deep desire that will become your thesis, risking wanting something, knowing that you might not get it, knowing that it might cause you pain, but ultimately hoping, pushing, working for that sweet moment of synthesis. Okay, I don't know if you know it or not, but this episode is a special episode. Lots of thanks, lots of uh, show notes to just quickly go through here. Big old-fashioned thanks to Meg Lewis for coming on the show and providing some extra wisdom sauce for this podcast burger. (laughs) I don't know, darn good. Dot co is her website. You can go sign up to her online class, full-time you, uh, more of what you heard today, uh, deeper uh, goings-ons of those things, those ideas, and you can jump into that and see all of her cool and ridiculous uh, videos that she makes alongside that. One-on-one coaching, design work. She's a designer, speaking, all that good stuff. Go check her out. Darngood.co. Great website name. Also, Ben Worley. What about Ben Worley? Ben Worley is a guy. Uh, who I often hire to provide some extra sauce on our special episode. So he has written the little Call the Midwife. I told him I haven't really seen Call the Midwife, but I said I want it, I want the theme music to sound maybe a little bit like that, but also like Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. It's Dr. Pizza Medicine Woman is kind of what I'm going for today. Um, but uh yeah, he does an amazing job, and he provides some tunage every once in a while. Ben Worley, uh, you can go check him out at Subtumble, S-U-B-T-U-M-B-L-E, on uh, Instagram, at Subtumble, I believe it is. Big thanks to all the other th- resources. Um, they can't, You can't thank a resource, but I'll just tell them. 
uh, Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller is an idea that introduced me to um, thinking of your life as a story and his story brand podcast as a marketing podcast, but they use a lot of story devices in that. Joseph Campbell's Heroes of a Tha- Hero of a Thousand Faces, I finally finished that giant book this year and uh, that definitely had a big influence on this. Carl Jung is uh, another influence. Christopher Vogler. The Writer's Journey is a, been, is a book I've been reading that uh, takes the hero's journey and kind of solidifies it as a writing tool. Uh, the book Save the Cat, where they talk about thesis. I haven't read that book, but I've heard a lot from that um, author and, and the podcast. And they talk a lot about thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. That, of course, also comes from... Uh, this is a mess. <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants all these show notes. You can get them at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes and find this episode. But um, there's an episode, Philosophize This, where they cover Hegel. And uh, I'll put the show no- I'll put the link in the show note. Uh, and Hegel is the philosopher that came up with the idea of thesis, synthesis, antithesis. And it's called Hegelian dialectic. And it's about, it's not, he didn't mean it as a story device. He meant it as this is how society changes. Um, it really interesting stuff. Michael Hyatt, Living Forward. Don't forget that book. Hayao Miyazaki's Princess Mononoke. Highly recommend anything by Hayao Miyazaki, even if you don't like anime, especially Princess Mononoke. It's the true hero's journey, um, and that's where uh, that's that's the movie that I was talking about. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, hope this peps your step. Um, until we speak again, we go deep. We're going to go more practical. I got some cool stuff uh, planned for the next two episodes about our Call the Midwife Dr. Pizza series. Um, stay tuned for that. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing the podcast and providing the soundtrack. Thanks to all of you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.